0: Jesus, we are so grateful for who you are. God, you uh, sculpted creation in a way that that we see your beauty. Lord, that we get to witness your glory. Jesus, I pray that, that you would help us to see your plan and your purpose in our lives a little more clearly today. Jesus, that whatever burdens or anxieties that we walked in with, Lord, I pray that we would place them in your hands, trusting that you can carry them, and especially you are capable of carrying them for the next 30 minutes, just so that we can hear from you. Jesus, uh, Lord, we ask that you would be with our folks that are are traveling just around different places, Lord, uh, finding rest uh, and a little bit of fun. Lord, I pray that you would keep them safe and secure. Lord, that their travels would remind them of your goodness. Lord, that they would find rest. Lord, in your name, Jesus, we, we ask that uh, this summer would be a time where we're able to lean into you closer. Jesus, when uh, everything kind of seems to slow down in the midst of summer, God, I pray that we would find in those moments some extra space to, to learn about you. Jesus, we thank you for everything that you have provided for us, Lord, for, um, for the relationships that support us. God, for, um, for the tangible needs that you've, you meet every single week. Jesus, to uh, the conversations that you brought to our plate this week that blessed us, Lord, that encouraged us and spurred us on. God, I ask that this would be just another time of those conversations where we're able to to understand you a little better and to be encouraged by your plan for our lives. Jesus, we love you. We trust you. And we ask that you would be about this time. It's in your precious and holy name. Amen. Well, good morning. You have a little bit of a broken pastor this morning. (laughs) Uh, so, we're going to improvise a little bit. Um, I, there was a divot in the uh, pavement I was walking on when I was coming home from church earlier this morning, and I twisted my ankle and bruised my foot. So, <laughs> Like, really blessed, though. It happened right as Elizabeth was taking out her dog, so she heard me go down. <laughs> and <laughs> came out, uh, no shoes on helping, (laughs) helping me. No shoes, no glasses, just help. And so um, I'm going to attempt to be a sitting preacher today, but I don't know how that's going to work, honestly. So we'll see what happens. Um, But anyway, we are in week two of homecoming. And throughout this series, we have been discussing holiness and how holiness is really a homecoming. Now, uh, to start our conversation, I wanted to ask you, who in this room really loves like a good amusement park? Raise your hand. Really? Okay. And not just for the funnel cakes. Who likes the rides? Okay. 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 All right. Fair enough. Um, I am not one of those people. Uh, (laughs) I will just say that. Uh, I can barely survive, you know, falling from a few inches, okay, Uh, that I really don't enjoy rides very much. But what I can enjoy and what I can appreciate about amusement parks are the videos that come from them, um, are the videos of people <laughs> reacting to the rides? Let me tell you what, that is a good way to spend an afternoon, okay? Um, and I actually have a video this morning. Uh, first I have this picture of a ride that I, I looked at. This is called the Slingshot. It is in Orlando, Florida. And I think it, it's 250, 250 feet tall um, and the rider gets strapped in a slingshot, essentially, between those two poles, and, and they yank and just launch you 350 feet into the air at 62 miles per hour. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, 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 no. Okay, but this is, this is what happens in that ride, is that they strap you in and you essentially free fall. Now, what I have for you this morning is a video of kids passing out on this ride. So enjoy this with me. It. <laughs> <laughs> oh look at that I view ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah! Oh, look it! that view! Yes, view love Look at that it! I look at that Pass out. <laughs> out. <sighs> tell me it's over, right? It's over. Look at the ocean, bud. <laughs> yeah! Yeah! Wow! <laughs> <laughs> My favorite thing, and you couldn't hear it on the last one, but the guy that runs the machine or whatever, he goes, do you want a countdown or do you want a surprise? Boom! And then shoots him in the air. <laughs> that was good. That was my favorite. Like that, that's, that would probably be a really good job to have. Like, that would be fun. And the second, the second kid, she passed out, like at least five times, just in and out, which the horror of waking up <laughs> would just be terrifying. And the first kid, you didn't hear him, but he goes, I think I passed out. I peed my pants. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I get you. Yeah, absolutely, that would be me. Uh, and, and we pay for people to do this to us, which is insane to me. Uh, the American amusement park industry is a $45 billion industry holy crud. And and the reason that it's so successful is because it preys on a basic need that you and I all have, this need to feel secure, or this need to exploit that need (laughs) and feel insecure. So I want to welcome you to week two of Homecoming, and throughout this series, uh, we have been looking at basic human needs and how we try to fulfill them in the world, but how we find ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. Now, the American industry just reinforces that fear is a big business and that uh, we have a serious need to feel secure. It is what sells insurance. It is what sells uh, security alarms. It's what sells scary movies. You know, it's the reason that we have movies on tornadoes and earthquakes and meteorites and volcanoes and zombies and ninjas and serial killers. Like, It exploits this need that we all feel to feel secure. It's the reason that we save up money and build up emergency funds. Because what if something happens and I'm not prepared, right? And and through the course of this series, I'm looking at these human needs. And in order to find how we fulfill this need to feel secure, I want to look at an Old Testament story, one that might not be as popular as you expect. But it's a story about Elisha. And I'm going to try really hard to not say Elijah this morning, <laughs> but if I do, you just know it's Elisha. Can you say that with me? Sha. Sha. Okay. Um, so a couple things that you need to know about Elisha is that he is a prophet of Israel, and he is living during the reign of King Joram. Now King Joram, go ahead and say Joram with me. Joram. That sounds like Aflac. I don't know. Uh, but, but King Joram is the son of King Ahab. Now, if you know anything about King Ahab, it's that he was a really evil dude. Uh, he was very corrupt. He brought idols into the temple of God and, and forced people to worship them. He ignored the ways that a king should be, especially for God's chosen people. And so he continued, and he, uh, Joram, say Joram, inherited the ways of king Ahab. He inherited all those evil ways and then he took it a step further. And so what you see happening during a lot of Elisha's prophecies is that God sends him to protect the Israelites in spite of their evil king. He says, "I want to protect you even though you have this jerk ruling over you," essentially. So we're going to jump in in 2 Kings verse 6 or chapter 6. <coughs> Verse eight, it says, "When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, "We will mobilize our forces at such a such place." But immediately Elisha, a man of God, would warn the King of Israel, King Joram. Do not go near that place, for the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God, and time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that they would be on alert there. So Elisha has this supernatural gifting that he knows exactly where the enemies of Israel are going to go and attack. And so he goes to the king of Israel, goes to Joram, and he says, okay, they're going to be here, so either you need to send extra forces or you need to get out of there. And every single time he does this for King Joram, he's right. And they show up, and the the king of the Arameans, they show up, and they're completely frustrated. Like, how in the world is this happening? How does he know this? Verse 11. The king of Aram became very upset over this, as you would expect, right? And he called his officers together and demanded, which one of you is the traitor? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It's not us, my lord the king, one of the officers replied. Elisha, The prophet of Israel tells the king of Israel even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. (laughs) And so when the king realizes that the Israelites have some sort of insider knowledge, he says, okay, where's the rat? You know, where's the guy that's running to the king and telling him when we're going to attack? And he says, no, 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 it's none of us. And you don't even have to worry about King Joram, quite frankly. You have to worry about this guy in a tent named Elisha. You have to worry about him. And you have to appreciate what he says. He says, he knows what you say in bed. Like, (laughs) yikes, okay? Um, if, If Elisha had some supernatural wisdom of what I say in my bedroom, he would know how much I talk to my cat and my dog, you know? But this, he says, he knows what you murmur in your sleep. How creepy is that, right? That would freak you out. Like, if somebody came, if I came up to you today and was like, Hey, I had a really good conversation with you while you're sleeping last night. Like restraining order time, right? <laughs> Freak me out. And so this is what happens to the king. He responds, and he is scared out of his mind. He knows what he says in my bed or what I say in my bedroom. Verse 13. Go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. And the report came back. Elijah is at Jothan. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army, note that those two words, great army, with many chariots and horses to surround the city. So let's just pause here for a moment. King Aram is so freaked out, right? He's like, this guy is a creep, and we got to deal with him. And he goes, and he says, once they find out where he's at, he sends chariot and horses to surround the entire city of Dothan. So the entire city of Dothan, just to give you a perspective, uh, is located on the top of a massive mountain. And the summit of which mountain stretches about 10 acres. So King Aram gets really scared and he sends 10 acres of chariots and horses and men to get one guy in a tent. Imagine the surprise when you wake up the next morning, right? He wakes up, and he looks around, and an entire mountain is surrounded by this army for one guy in a tent that can guess where the king is going. And this is where we learn our first takeaway about fear and about feeling insecure. The dumbest decisions are made out of fear. (laughs) Anybody concur? The dumbest decisions that you will ever make, they are made out of fear. Uh, fear Fear-based decisions, they are always reactive. They're never proactive. And they are some of the dumbest things that you'll ever do. I read an article this week about fear based decisions, and it said that there are three common outcomes. First, if you make a decision out of fear, you will overthink something. Now, anybody an overthinker in this room? Yeah, absolutely, okay? Uh, You think through every dime and every dollar that you're going to lose, every person that's going to hate you, every person uh, that you're going to hate, you know? And you stew and you think and you process and you continue and you think through everything imaginable that could go wrong. Now, what I'm not saying is that you shouldn't think through your decisions. Obviously, you need to. But what happens when you overthink is that you actually paralyze yourself and you distract yourself from what actually is happening. You distract yourself what is actually going on in the moment. And overthinking, that's what happens, is that suddenly you're thinking of the worst case scenario instead of what's right in front of your face. All right, the second thing that comes out of fear-based decisions is procrastination. Anybody have a problem with procrastination? I notice you guys put your arms up slower. <laughs> you know, just whatever, but, um, and I'm not talking about taking time to process. I'm saying, like, there are times when you need space and distance from a situation to have clarity, but this is when you're avoiding the situation altogether, and you think, the longer I don't make a decision, I won't have to deal with the consequences of what I've overthought to death. Then the last thing that he talks about in this article is that uh, you will make short-term solutions for long-term problems. Now, this is where we find King, the king of Aram. He had a long-term problem with the kingdom of Israel. And yet, he found a short-term solution by sending 10 acres of people to get one guy in a tent. Now, let's jump back in. Verse 15. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside... There were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Now, this story, this is where it shifts to Elisha's perspective. And you have to find this really funny. Like, if you were the servant of Elisha, you know, you wake up, you make your way out of the tent, you know, you stretch, you kind of look, and you're like, oh, wait, I'm not seeing right. You pick the boogers out of your eyes, and there are chariots and horses and army people everywhere, and you think, oh, crud, right? <laughs> like, if I wake up and just there's somebody sitting in my living room, I'd be freaked out. This is an entire army, and so the, the servant, he walks back in, and in probably Lindsay's edited version, he says, Elisha, we're screwed, you know? <laughs> there are people everywhere, <laughs> and then look what happens. This is Elisha's response in verse 16. Don't be afraid, okay, cool, Uh, (laughs) all right, don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs, then Elisha prayed, "O Lord, open his eyes and let him see, the Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw the hillside, around Elisha was filled with chariots, or horses and chariots of fire, (laughs) that's so cool, That's a tattoo idea, just so you know, but uh, (laughs) but horses and chariots of fire, and these aren't Aramean horses and chariots, no, these are God's horses and chariots of fire, like just say that, of fire, you know, like this is awesome what happens, and he opens his eyes and like, uh, you have to, I love this moment because wouldn't this freak you out, you know, all of a sudden you look around you and there are these people these beings that are fighting, and you just have this sense that they're fighting for you. And and notice what happens here. Elisha does not pray, Lord, send an army. He He's, Lord, let him see it. Hmm. Meaning they were already there. Meaning Elisha could already see them. I love this quote from G. Campbell Morgan. He says, faith is never imagining of unreal things. It is the grip of things which cannot be demonstrated to the senses, but which are real. The chariots of horses and fire were actually there. Which brings us to our second point about fear. Our perspective is not God's perspective, and we have a real problem with this. Um, we have a real problem with realizing that our, our perspective is not God's perspective. Um, let's do this, just like raise your right hand and just repeat after me. My perspective is not God's perspective, right? And, and that's difficult, like that probably pained you a little bit to say that my perspective is not God's perspective. But listen, when you are at the end of your rope, when, when you are surrounded by enemies, when you're surrounded by naysayers, when people don't believe in you, when you don't believe in yourself, when you don't see your own strength, when you have insurmountable odds that honestly have no solution on the horizon. Take hope. My perspective is not God's perspective. My perspective is not God's perspective. Charles Spurgeon, he said, that you have not perceived spiritual things is no proof that they are, there are none to perceive. Charles Spurgeon went on in this book, and he talks about a man who was in Ireland, and this man committed murder. And he killed somebody, and there were four people that watched him do it. And so when they get to the hearing, and the judge asks for his plea, the man says, not guilty. And he says, how in the world do you intend to defend that? You have four people that saw you kill them, and he says, well. You have four people that saw me kill them. I have 40 people that didn't see me kill him. (laughs) And obviously that wouldn't work. You know, in the springs, we recently got red stoplight cameras. Okay? Yeah, they're terrifying, by the way. Uh, But if you get in the mail a picture of you running a red light, you cannot respond with 40 pictures of you driving safely (laughs) and get out of it, you know? (laughs) Like, it still happened. And in the same way, if there are 40 people or 400 people that don't see the Holy Spirit's power, that don't see him moving, that doesn't mean that he ain't moving. That means that they don't see it. Because my perspective is not God's perspective. And so how how do we get there? How do we get God's perspective? Well, every single time that you see God say, do not be afraid, in the Bible. There's never, and I think that we have this notion that the Lord says, do not be afraid, and it just expels all fear. And that's not what happens. It's always followed by a bigger belief. It says, do not be afraid, trust in me. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I am your God. And in order to get rid of fear, we can't just throw it away. We can't wish it away. We have to replace it with a stronger and bigger belief. Now, if I could, I would cue VeggieTales, God is bigger than the boogeyman, right now. <laughs> um, I probably could have, but I know you would ju- just be singing it the rest of the sermon, so it would have been garbage. But um, late. <laughs> too late. <laughs> uh, but... Steve Deneff, in his book, he talks about his daughter being afraid of the boogeyman. And he says that uh, every night he would go in and he would say, my daughter, there's no such thing as the boogeyman. And then he would lift up her covers, they would look under the bed, they would explore and they'd say, look, there's no such thing as the boogeyman. You are fine. Which, as most of you guys know, wouldn't matter because the boogeyman only comes out when other people are gone, obviously. <laughs> And so nothing worked, and so finally he said, I need to change my methods. And he put a chair at the foot of her bed, and he said, if the boogeyman comes out, he'll have to get through me. And I'm tougher than the boogeyman. That's cool. He says, I'm tougher than the boogeyman. If he comes out here, I'll take him on. And suddenly, she slept just fine. I love what he says after this. He says, it worked like magic. There was no sense in denying her fear. It had to be replaced with trust in her father. Listen, you will not wish your biggest fears away. You have to replace them with a bigger and stronger belief. Replace them with a faith that while there are scary things that could and will happen, they all go through God. And he is tougher than the boogeyman. Verse 18 As the Aramean army advanced towards them, Elisha prayed, O Lord, please make them blind. So the Lord struck them, the army, with blindness as Elisha had asked. When Elisha went out and told them, You've come the wrong way. (laughs) This isn't the right city. Follow me and I will take you to the man that you are looking for. These are not the droids you are looking for, okay? Uh, (laughs) And he led them to the city of Samaria. And this is so funny. He strikes a 10-acre army blind, and not in physical blindness, like they can't see anything, just in the kind of blindness that you can't tell who this person is. 10 acres of people could not identify Elisha. And he says, follow me. Follow me to Samaria. Okay? Which, by the way is the capital city of Israel, which is a fortress-like place where Israel is the safest. And he says, follow me there. And they do. And he takes control of 10 acres of people. He turns people that thought they were gonna be captors into captives. And he says, let's go. Now, this is the next point that I wanna make about insecurity and fear. Deception is the product of distraction. Deception is the product of distraction. Uh, Elisha's deception illustrates this, that spiritually blind people, they're easily led astray. They're easily led into God only knows. You know, when magicians, they prove this, there's no magic spell that somebody can put on anything. But there is the art of misdirection. And they can make you look one way, and not see what's happening on the other side. And this is what happens in us, is that when you aren't looking for God's protection, when you're not looking for the ways that God's providing, you won't find it. And when you don't find it, it's going to be really easy to fall into fear, to fall into the thought that, man, the same as the servant who didn't see it, What are we going to do? We're screwed. Elisha tricks an entire army to follow him because they were blind to what God was doing. You know, if the army would have seen an entire, like, chariots of fire army, there's no way that they would have followed him. But they didn't see God providing. And so they follow Elisha. And note this, when we are blind... And when we are not careful and we're not looking for God, we're not looking for how He's providing and how He's encouraging us and how He's uplifting us, we will let much of anything take the wheel of our lives. We will let fear drive our lives. We will let anxiety and worry and insomnia and the feeling of being overwhelmed and depression guide us wherever we need to go. Who's at the wheel of your life? Who's in control? Is it a fear of failing? Is it a fear of losing? Is it a fear of others' opinions? Or is it the faith that God is going to protect and guide you no matter what? He's going to guide you into a life that is full and complete in Him. Look at this, verse 20. As soon as they had entered Samaria, Elisha prayed, O Lord, now open their eyes and let them see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they discovered that they were in the middle of Samaria. And when the king of Israel saw them, remember he's evil too, he shouted to Elisha, my father, should I kill them? Should I kill them? Can we, can we, can we, can we? <laughs> of course not, Elisha replied. Do we kill prisoners of war? Give them food and drink and send them home again to their masters. And this is a very important part of the story because the Lord sends a subtle yet clear message to the king of Aram and also the king of Israel. I love how my study Bible put it this week. The Lord's purpose was to demonstrate to them and their king and to the Israelites and their king that Israel's national security ultimately was grounded in the Lord, not in military forces or strategies. God sent this simple message, and it's the same message that you need to hear today, is that security is found in trusting the Lord. And that seems very simple, and we all know that that implies so much more of us. But that's what it is. Security is found in trusting the Lord, period. Security is not found in your own strength. It's not found in your own planning or your perfection. It's not found in avoiding scary circumstances, You know, it's not found in overlooking and overthinking. It's not found in worrying over the problem. It's not found in relationships. It's not found in somebody else's strength. It's not found in physical barriers or even in security systems. Security is found when we choose to trust the Lord. It's when we decide that no matter what this world can and will throw at us, it all goes through my God. It all goes through my God. And my God is a whole lot bigger than you could ever imagine. And not only is my God bigger than you could imagine, he actually lives inside of me. 1 John 4, verse 4, it says, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I just want you to imagine this morning God is praying the same thing for you, that Elisha prayed for his servant. Open their eyes. Open their eyes and let them see it. Open their eyes and let them see the army of the Lord surrounding and fighting for you. So often, battles, they feel like we are fighting them by ourselves, on our own strength, and our own capacity. What happened if we opened our eyes? What would happen if we saw the army of chariots of fire trampling, surrounding you, guarding you, protecting you, making sure nothing gets past them? See, our greatest hurdles, like our worst worries, our biggest things in life that scare the crud out of us, God says, that does not make me tremble. That doesn't make me quiver. That doesn't make me cry. He sees them as opportunities. He sees them as opportunities for us to open our eyes and to see Him clearer. I love this. That's like, you say, Lord, I have this huge circumstance. And He says, Yeah, that's just another Tuesday for me. He says, I got this. He says, My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than yours, meaning that when he looks at your biggest and worst situation, he says, yeah, I can handle that. He does not quiver. He does not qu- cry. He says, this is a chance for my child to open their eyes and to trust me. I love this quote from Steve Deneff. He talks about after sharing about his, his boogeyman incident. He says, now holiness Is intimate trust in the one who sits at the foot of your bed and promises to protect us while we live in the world. God does not speak our fears out of existence. He does not lie about terrorists or diseases or the meteors that hide in the dark corners of our world. He promises simply that all of these will have to get past Him if they are to get to us. And He tells us to close our eyes for the night and rest, not because there's no danger because we can trust the Father. I want to ask you to take a posture of prayer this morning, whatever that looks like for you today. And today I want to do just just what we had talked about and replacing fear with a bigger belief. And I don't know where, where your fear lies. I don't know where you feel the most insecure. But Lord, I want to ask that that in your grace, Lord, that in your comfort, that you would allow us to look at that this morning. Lord, where am I most fearful? What seems too big? What fight am I fighting by myself and losing? Now this morning as we as we pray together I'm going to read about eight verses all throughout scripture. And as we get to one that really really resonates with your situation today, I want to invite you to stand, and just stand in the trust that that scripture, that that promise is for you. Isaiah 41, 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will hold you with my righteous right hand. If that scripture's for you today, would you stand? Luke 12:6. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than any sparrow. Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Philippians 4, verse 6. "Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Mark 5, And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. First Peter 5, Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. John 16, I have told you all this, that you may have peace in me, here on earth, you have you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Matthew 11, and then Jesus said, "'Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, "'and I will give them rest. "'Take my yoke upon you. "'Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, "'and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light